All right. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> so at first I was going to tell you a story about getting cut off by a guy whose license plate was vegans. Uh huh. His vanity plate. Right. But then something. Even um, bigger than that. Something even bigger than getting cut off by a guy whose wow. vanity plate was vegans. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, so this is a big announcement that may not be worth our time to discuss, but mm-hmm. I thought I'd bring it up. So if um, our longtime listeners remember, I talked about an infamous stall in, at my work, mm-hmm. the toilet urinal combo. Right. And I think we posted a picture of that on our. And it's a small urinal as well. Or it's low. No, the mistake was that I thought it was a small urinal. It's a normal sized urinal. Normal sized urinal. The weird part is just that it's included with the toilet. Right. In the same stall as a toilet. And it is kind of maybe it's regular height. I don't know. But if you're sitting on the toilet, it's kind of low. Right. You're you're right at level with the urinal, which is, again, disconcerting. I just don't understand it. Um, Well. The big, the big reveal, the big news mm-hmm. is I actually like used both, legitimately used both parts mm-hmm. of that stall. So I kind of, after a year, I kind of have an answer to my, my, my question of why. Uh-huh. Well, the, the, quest, the, the question has been answered. We know what the real answer is. No, we don't. Yes, we do. What is it? They mismeasured. That is the answer. They mismeasured the size of the stall. And instead of reordering parts, they just enclosed it. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, another picture of the whole entire bathroom. So the problem okay. that you have is you have the shot of the stall. Mm-hmm. You do not have a shot of the entire bathroom, which shows that there is a good five feet plus between the urinal that is in the stall and the next urinal over. Mm-hmm. And then there are three other urinals that are a foot apart, which mm-hmm. is the proper spacing. That urinal was installed in that stall for a purpose. Okay. So it was not just. So what's a the simple purpose then? Okay. So here's the story. I'm going to say this delicately. I was going to. Um, sure. My girls are not asleep yet. Keep that in mind. Right. I was going to feed the fishies, if you know what I mean. I No, I don't know what that means. I mean, you can say poop and pee. Justin, please. I'm trying to... Uh, I'm trying going to, to, poop? to keep this... I was going to feed the fishies, quote unquote, can you wink, nod wink. If I nod at my... Were you going to poop? Okay. So, yes, you were pooping. I was feeding the fish. All right. So, I was going in there... And I have a bad back. I have mm-hmm. a degenerative degenerative back. Like at any moment it feels like my lower vertebrae could just collapse on top of each other. It just mm-hmm. feels like it's held up by toothpicks right now. With having a bad back, weirdly, it has affected my bladder control. Not that I've like had any accidents. But when I have to go, I really have to go. That sounds common to me with back issues. Exactly. Okay. I think that is pretty common. Okay. So I was going to feed the fish. 
Mm-hmm. Ease. Fishies, take, I think, take is a bleep. A little more tasteful. Mm-hmm. So uh, I go into the bathroom and I realize on the way to the restroom, I need to pee like now. I need to pee first with my bad back too. It's hard standing up and sitting down because there's a moment where it's either the pain or it's just your back kind of gives out that you can't control what's happening down there, right? Like if I'm sitting into a seat, there's a moment of my my sitting motion mm-hmm. that I lose complete control of my body like movement and I collapse into the seat that I'm going. Or when I'm pushing myself up where my back completely gives out and it's all on my you know, arms to get me up. In that space, that danger space, that's where your bladder will release. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm sitting and all of a sudden I realize I have to pee, getting up, there's a moment of getting up where my back, you know, wants to give out. And you could just piss all over And yourself. I could, do, yeah, I could, please, Justin, I could whiz. <laughs> okay. That is way better. <laughs> so I could leak. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so th- there's a moment, right? It's not like going to be a fire hose, but it could, you know, getting up, you could be like, oh my goodness, there's a little bit of leakage. Uh-huh. Because, again, my back and the bladder thing, it's all kind of in the same area. Right. And I, I don't, you just don't have as much control. Again, not saying I've never had an accident. So I've, I've gotten up and managed to hold it in, but I'm just saying it takes a little concerted effort. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm not going to get my pants off. And I'm not doing that kind of sit thing without mm-hmm. having a fire hose situation. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? I go into the split stall, use the urinal, flush that, and then use the uh, that makes the toilet so little of sense that I feel like you are trying to make something up to justify the existence. Of the combo, why would you not just pee in the toilet and then sit down on the toilet? Gosh. Okay, so because your solution you, because your argument is that you have literally zero time to waste, but then you're wasting time by peeing you know in one place and then wa- and then waddling over and I'm sitting sorry. on a toilet. <laughs> I'm sorry because I clearly have failed in an explanation. This makes perfect sense. So here's your solution. Your solution. Is to go into no, the stall. Here's my solution. My solution is to sit down on the toilet and no. to pee and poop at the same time. Okay. Like 99% of the other people in the world. Which is why I explained there's that moment of sitting and getting up. Again. Where you cannot I, control look, it. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen to you. But I'm saying you could have just sat down and done the Done, so, so done the done the business. Your, your psycho slash sociopathic nature <laughs> has finally revealed itself in your inability inability to empathize with me. To, where I can't say I had back pain to the point where I knew sitting would cause an issue with my bladder. That I knew if I sat down in the act of sitting, I would have a problem. And with my pants already down, guess where? Everything would go in my pants. My pants were acting as a, as a glove, as a net. So your solution was, oh, just piss in your pants a little bit then. Mm-hmm. Or I could, in the same stall... No, my shut- solution is take your pants down and then sit on the toilet. Okay, so get me around the back problem. What do you mean? 
the back and bladder control problem. How do I do you that? Hold your pee pee in. <laughs> if if I could transfer my back pain to you, I would. I would so bad want to do that right now. I'm going to uh-huh. actually say a prayer right now that God would actually take my back pain uh-huh. and give it to you. You should just wear um, diapers like James Franco does in eleven twenty two sixty three. Wrong podcast, right? But yeah, that's that's Same a very idea. yeah exactly. So anyway. I didn't mean, I didn't think I was going to get grilled like, uh, did OJ Simpson take the stand? <laughs> like OJ Simpson up here. But I will say that my working theory now is that there's a, a gentleman who's responsible for building the building that I work in who had back pain mm-hmm. and knew that he needed a combo stall to accommodate his uh, deteriorating back issue slash bladder issues. Case closed. Okay. Well, I'm not buying that for a second. I mean, if our two options are somebody mismeasured and ordered the wrong size stall doors and walls or some other random guy on this in the same area that we live in has the same bizarre back problem that you have where you can't hold your pee in when you're sitting or standing. So he has to pee into a urinal before he sits down to poop my the fish I, I'm going to side on the uh, on the on the on the on the measurement error okay so uh, here's a simple um, counterpoint to that which is so you're telling me that simple mismeasurement of doors and walls for a stall also caused them to do a full installation of a working urinal in there no, it would just be an oversized stall. Okay. They then wouldn't put in a urinal that not fully to, works. All right, not to drag this out any further. Give me again the layout of the bathroom. Is it, I'm looking at the bathroom wall, right? From left to right, am I looking at urinal, 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 toilet, no. urinal? No, left to right. Left to right. Stall, smaller stall, bigger stall, toilet, urinal. Then on the right, moving to the right, urinal, urinal, exactly. urinal. Exactly. Well, how, how does that not just prove my point? Because there's a five-foot space between the urinal and the stall and the next urinal on the wall. And then all the other urinals are the adequate 12 inches apart. Somebody had to install a full working plumbing system for the urinal and the stall. They didn't just say, oh, we got a big stall here. They said, we need to somehow accommodate this working urinal and toilet in this stall. I'll have to see the picture. It exactly. I will take you a picture. I will take a picture uh, for you tomorrow, and you will see the big gap between the urinal and the stall and the next series of urinals on the wall. It is not the same space. It's planned. Like something with that. Wow. And I get it. talk about how is your bladder control during the witch too scary for you well see there's the tie-in maybe that's the witches so we saw the witch 
over the uh, Thursday last week on Friday, right? No, on Saturday? On Friday. Friday, Friday. yeah. Definitely not Thursday. And I think we both... We're not cool enough to see movies on Thursdays anymore. No. I think we both agreed that it falls into the same category that the Babadook falls in or another quote-unquote scary movie that I can't think of the name of right now, but a scary movie that is not scary. Good Night Mommy? Good Night Mommy, potentially. Um, so that maybe that's the, the most accessible way to start talking about the it movie. It follows? I thought It Follows was scary. Yeah. I think the premise of It Follows is scary. Mm-hmm. Some of that is just because of my personal paranoias. Right, of sex. Of mainly. sleeping around and, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess your mileage will vary with that, but I found It Follows to be unsettling at least. I didn't feel that way at all with The Witch. That clamshell e-reader, the, the size of that screen was very <laughs> disconcerting to me. She was reading about three sentences at a time. Um, I know that you really liked the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't dislike the movie, but it didn't really affect me in any way. Um, so I want to give you time to explain why you like it so much. I'm after thinking about it. My feeling is that it probably has to do with the family's dynamic, that whole relationship. And, but more or less of what it has to say about faith. Mm -hmm. But, um, I'll just say, I, I never really felt like it was saying much about faith as much as it was just kind of using it for a plot device. It didn't feel like a very deep movie to me. It just felt kind of like, I guess I should say that it's based off of sort of an amalgam of New England folktales. It's not based off of one in particular. Right. At the end, it says like journal entries. And right. So yeah. it's based off a bunch of them kind of thrown together. And I think ultimately, and I hate to sort of say this about anything because it feels like such a cheap and kind of lazy critique. But I think I would have liked this story more if it was just like a 20 minute lore podcast. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Rather take a feature length film and push it into a, I would have rather podcast. had just talked to the guy for 20 minutes and him be like, yeah, listen to these crazy folklores that people used to believe in the, 17th century you know what I mean rather than see it play out over the course of an hour and 20 minutes I just didn't find it that uh interesting I guess compelling compelling it just didn't do anything for me really I just thought because it's not I didn't find it scary at all there are a only a handful of instances that I think could be considered scary and the rest is very heavily accented dialogue that's all about faith and struggling with faith and sort of this family's dynamics. 
But at the core of it is faith. Even the family's dynamics are working off a core of faith that I just, none of it did anything for me. Just kind of like. So my, my hope, I want to talk about this film and its ideas more than kind of talk about like what I thought about the actual film. Okay. So having said that, I just quickly want to say the film looks gorgeous. It's extremely well acted. Yes. Um, and the period detail made me feel like I, it felt documentarian. It felt like a documentary without being obviously being a documentary, but it, it felt like, yes, this is what it looked like in Puritan New England. Now, I listened to, uh, I may have read, I read something and I listened to an interview the director did with Vice. And he talks about, and, and one of the things I listened to. Did they interview him on mescaline or something? Did or they, Red. <laughs> no, is that hey, like a thing Were for they him? all hanging upside down? Or, <laughs> no. I feel like Vice, it's always like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> watch us interview the director right. of a witch hanging upside down in a haunted barn. Yeah, with whatever. Vice interviews, you always kind of get the feeling that the person doing the interviewing kind of has no idea what's going on. Right. Like they, they kind of, even though it's, I've seen people repeated multiple times in interviews, it always kind of feels like they just grabbed person, a person <laughs> from the street and were like, here, ask these, this guy, these questions. Right. But anyways, they talk about how he refused to compromise on stuff like that. So the farmhouse is, is, is built using all original materials exactly the way that it would have been built in the 17th in the 1700s in the 1600s can i interrupt really quick do you really think that that's true i i always think that like was he there for all the the construction of it or was he like i want this using and then he left and all the people working were like bring me my uh my toolbox, please. Well, that's the Let's thing. Let's get this done. In the thing I read, they were like, he hired a roof thatcher from here, from Virginia. I'm guessing probably from Williamsburg, maybe. Colonial Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who was the only person in the right. States who knew how to do this sort of roof thatching. And it's like... Can you imagine his house where you live? <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, that's admirable and i get it and then there's a part of me that thinks like what is the difference between that and what we saw the guy from the revenant project Greenlight do oh jason what was the name of his movie the up the ruling the ruling the ruling class, class? the hot I, I can't remember what it's called right but you know what i mean that whole series was about him refusing to compromise on things that seemed absolutely trivial. Arbitrary. Whereas in this movie, it's like, okay, he called a guy in from Virginia to go to Canada to put this roof together. That's neat. I guarantee you, every single person you show this movie to would not be able to tell the difference. The only person that can tell the difference in that scenario is the director and the guy doing the roof thatching. Mm-hmm. So at what point is this just sort of like, well, egoism well I, I guess it also helps on our conversation because we know the the um like we can say with confidence that feels like a documentary 
because all the details were uh, taken care of. So, so we can kind of with confidence be like, that's how it would have been. The other thing that I'll say is you're, it's interesting that you took the comparison there. I might take it to, uh, and compare it to method acting, you know, it's like uh, De Niro or Daniel Day Lewis, right? You can make fun of it and people do make fun of it, but does method acting work and pay off? I don't know, but it works for them, you know? And so I feel like when you pay that close attention to your set and to the construction, can it pay off? I think it can in intangibles in the same way. Like, did I know watching Lincoln that Daniel Day Lewis ate modern day food at lunch with everyone else acting like Abraham Lincoln? No, I didn't know that, but he did it and he did a great performance in the movie. Sure. So, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I compare it to where you can either be cynical about it and be like, oh, or you can be like, uh, it paid off. Well, I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just curious. What I'm curious is to how much it actually affects the end product of the movie. That's yeah. the only thing that's that's and having um, having the experience of watching Project Greenlight and and seeing this guy fight tooth and nail for things that at least the show's editors made seem pretty trivial. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't put myself in his shoes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, but I do, I can't understand wanting, you know, your vision to be delivered unedited. Right. But at the same time, I also can recognize that part of that process is collaborating with other people and accepting maybe this isn't the best, but I mean, you know, he, he did it and good for Mm -hmm. him. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think the projects mean something in this case too, that the ruling class was a very different project of different integrity sure. than uh than the witch. Um okay, so now about the ideas of the film. So, number 1, uh, I found it interesting and there's another podcast I listened to Fighting in the War Room that kind of took up this mantle of conversation mm-hmm. where people were were are coming out of the witch largely saying that's not scary. That's not scary. All the early reviews weren't just, this is scary, but this is the scariest movie of the decade. This is the scariest movie of my life or whatever. I remember on the trailer, somebody wrote, you know, it feels like you shouldn't be watching this. And uh, I don't understand that kind of hyperbolic statements. I think that that ends up undercutting the final film. So The Babadook is a really amazing film. Mm. Not a scary movie right. for me, right? So it doesn't help for people to say, this is the scariest movie of my lifetime. And then you go mm. see and you go, no, this is actually a really interesting exploration on grief and on depression, you know? Mm. And it says more about that than it does about scaring you. So what I found interesting about The Witch is what, where is the horror of The Witch located? In Paranormal Activity, the the horror is in the moments of... The lady standing by the bed and mm. the jump scares and the feet and the people getting pulled from the bed or whatever, right? Like those moments are the scares. In The Witch, the scares aren't about those moments. The The, the horror is in another place. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in the ideas of the film. And that's where I think the depth of the film comes out. And it has, I think, something to say about 
faith. It has something to say about family, right? Um, has something to say about identity and um, raising girls, which I'm glad I don't have to raise a girl. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. In my mind, raising a girl is trickier than raising a boy, which is not true. Um, but uh, I feel like in The Witch, so first, uh, you know, kind of interesting question for me would be where do you think the kind of cardinal sin happened that damned this family? The movie starts with them being expelled from the town. Where town, we were, yeah, it's not even. It's like a fortress, right? Um, they're expelled, and then they go off to the woods, and now they're on the witch's kind of playing field, mm-hmm. right? So, where when do you think the family was damned, and what do you think caused them to be damned? Because in a in a universe that accounts for the witch, which you think there really was a witch, right? Black Phillip really was. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, uh, the ending confirms to, that. I don't. Yeah, I don't see how you can some, dispute yeah, that. Some some people I think try to dispute it, but anyway. I agree with you. So in a in a universe that accounts for the witch and the uh-huh. devil, you have to account for the light, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be a counterbalancing force. So where was God in this family's struggles? And why did they get no salvation in at any point in their uh, descent? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, the to answer the 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 to me the the most obvious the starting point or the point of no return is the opening of the movie, right? He's being exiled from the town for from what I've read being too puritanical basically. Like he is more or less holding himself spiritually above everyone else in the town and they're sick of it. So he's being kicked out. Mm-hmm. And even towards the end, he, he mentions something about pride or, or whatever. Um, so I would imagine that's the impetus. Right. And not only that, immediately following that scene is when their baby gets mm-hmm. stolen. Mm-hmm. So that is obviously the beginning of the end for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it interesting that you felt like he was a faithful man. I mean, you don't really have anything to judge that on. But, I mean, he didn't fall into the stereotype of the Puritan father who's abusive. Didn't you feel like... I felt like he loved his children. Absolutely. Right. And so yeah. I like the fact that when you... like. Never is he abusive to his wife, even while his wife is just accusing him of being the reason for all this. Well, that's the, the, to me, the point is that he is, he's not abusive in any way. He is egomaniacal. He thinks he is better than, he thinks that his level of spiritual commitment is better than everyone else's, Mm -hmm. even though he very clearly uh is a hypocrite in certain respects you know he's uh being deceptive he's lying about things but that 
to me is no different than any other person's struggle in life. Exactly. When you have a spiritual uh, framework, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So for, for me, and I feel like I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. I, I feel like I put that cardinal sin, them being removed from the community. I feel like that community offers protection mm-hmm. because in that community, you have safeguards that can protect this precipitous slide into sin, right? So what do you see? You see an emphasis on original sin. So even when the dad takes his son out hunting, what is he quizzing him on, right? We're born into sin. We deserve death. We don't deserve anything good. You know, that is his emphasis. His his, his emphasizing focus is on sin and the corruptive influence of sin. Um, by separating from a community, what you have, if you just focus on the children, you have the son with these increasing issues of kind of lusting after his sister. Mm -hmm. And there, I mean, you remember it, right? Like there are scenes of him Mm -hmm. kind of sneaking peeks at his sister. And you allow, you know, the, 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 the boys allowed to, to, look more because there are less people around. There's no community there. Mm -hmm. There's nobody, number one, to attract his gaze away from his sister. And there's no one there watching over his shoulder being like, what are you looking at? When they are separated from that community, he's free to look at his sister anytime he wants. You know, the, the smaller children are free to commune with black Philip all they want. And in isolation, you have this kind of growth and festering of, of sin. Because again, the father's idea is this slant towards sin that that's the way that our corrupt natures are. And we need safeguards to protect us. Like we will never be rid of that sin full nature and those desires. Mm-hmm. And so by, by removing yourself from community, you are opening yourself up to temptation and to all of the negative influences of the corrupted world, you know? So I found it as an exploration of people living outside of community, outside of any structure to safeguard them from themselves or from whatever they decide to do. You know, what, what do cults do and cult leaders? They immediately try to isolate, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, Come on, everyone. That's uh, cult 101. Isolation. And so I found that this is a, is a film, an exploration of, of isolation of community and with, with the witch in particular of a, a faithful believing community. And that was the Puritan idea as well. You needed community and the worst thing that could happen to you is to be expelled from it because they believed and, and I think this is covered in a podcast or something like you hear noises out in the woods and you're a Puritan, you're probably going to be like, okay, maybe that's an animal, but that could be a demon. Mm-hmm. So let's just be extra safe and let's believe that demons are out there in the woods mm-hmm. and let's not go out there. Right. So, so it kind of that community idea is kind of built into their understanding of faith and, 
and safety. Sure. Sure. So there, I think, is one kernel of where the horror is is kind of contained for me. And I think it's I think it can be, you know, different places for different people. I'm not saying you have to be horrified by the idea of not living in community. Yeah, but the, the, but that's kind of that was kind of my point. The that the the horror of this is rooted in faith. It's rooted mm-hmm. in their religion. Mm-hmm. Without that religion, there's there's no conflict, so there's no real horror. Yeah. Now, I mean, other people who don't ascribe to Christianity or any faith have still said that this is sure scary. Sure. And I think for them, what they point to is like the grinding up of a baby. Which happens, mm-hmm. which to me wasn't scary because it's not as, I mean, you, you see the after effects, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I feel like. Well, it's not scary as it right. is just kind of gross, gross and morbid. Right. It's kind of gross and morbid. But um, I, I'm more about the, the horror of ideas myself. Like I don't enjoy but torture it, porn. Right. But again, that scene to me is scary. And I guess when the scene happens, you don't know. Um, by the end of the movie, you do know. That scene to me is scary if that is a real crazy person who's living in the woods and terrorized people around this community. It no longer becomes crazy when it is a witch living in the woods because witches do not exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I understand that. Certain people can look beyond that and still be affected in a way by that. But to me, it just becomes, I'm just watching a movie. Whereas the true scariness at this stage in my life Mm -hmm. comes into play when it's like, oh yeah, that was based on this person who actually lost their mind and went living in the woods and was kidnapping people. Right. You know what I'm saying? So so change, change her to a bear. And you've got no, a perfect because bears are bears. No, because because but bears really exist. So for you, I mean, bears really, are scary, sure, exactly. but I'm not scared of exactly. a bear popping out of the woods. I would be scared of a person coming out of the woods and seeming somewhat normal at least, but then being like, "Oh no, this is a crazy person." Yeah, no, I mean, and and that's why. So one thing that I'm interested to talk about with you, and and we didn't prep this, so. I'm sorry to spring this on you. And sure. given your memory of movies, I can anticipate your answer to this. But my my interest is what movies are scary to you? And in identifying the movies that are scary for you, you know, show kind of what the disparity between The Witch and those movies. So for me, like when I think of scary movies, The Blair Witch Project yeah. really scares me. And yeah. it scares me partially because of what you're saying. They built up a fake legend, but is real. Like people like that have existed. And the the horror of Blair Witch goes beyond just the movie. And it goes into the stories that they just reference. Like the man who did take children and kill them right. in his cabin. He's only someone who is influenced by the witch. By the witch. The witch. witch doesn't really fit into the lore of the witch, you know? And he's just kind of tangentially involved he's he was someone who was impacted by by her um existence and and the fact that the Blair Witch could pack in so much 
idea into its film, but then also that la- that last image of the movie has haunted me. Yeah. Even now as I think about it and I look in your dark corner over there in the uh-huh. other room, I'm scared, you know. Right. So, I mean, that that's a movie that I think balances the horror of ideas with actual visuals that that horrified you. But I think that there's something about the witch being a composed film that gives you distance, right? Like Blair Witch was kind of found footage and you felt like these people were kind of real. But in this, it has horrifying images. But why weren't the images horrifying to us? Right? Does that make sense? Like, like I would maybe put the the witch slathering herself for the witch eating a goat or um you know the the boy in the woods where he gets lost and finds his dog and stumbles upon her hut that whole sequence is scary yeah i mean i i think the i think the the question comes in i think the question is is what is scary and and what isn't and when you're watching a movie and something jumps out and boos at you, that is scary in that it makes you jump or it catches you off guard. But as soon as that movie is over and you walk out to your car or you walk into your house, that moment from that movie is never going to scare you again. Right? Right. Whereas something like the Blair Witch Project yeah, same same thing. It stuck with me for years. Even now, for the most part, I mean, I, I, maybe not so much now, but that's probably more due to the fact that at this point in my life, I'm probably never going to go exploring in the woods, right? <laughs> Whereas when I was a kid or around when that movie came out, I was in the woods a lot or I liked to go in the woods or it was at least a possibility for something for me to do. Right. You know what I mean? Or something like it follows that's that plays on this idea that someone is following you everywhere you go mm-hmm. and, and never stopping, never stopping. And you are just not aware of it or there's a possibility that you're not aware of it. That's sort of a that plays into for me that plays into the paranoia of. You know, sometimes if you go outside at night to throw the trash away, the first thing I think is like, is somebody watching me right now? Or is there somebody just like just down the road that I can't see who's just wants to attack me or or just down there watching me? Something creepy like that. Mm-hmm. That's something that sticks with me. Um, the 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 Babadook, I didn't find to be scary in that sense really but because of the the at least because of the depression reading that i got from it which is something that i've you know something that i've uh dealt with for a lot of my life those comparisons and sort of that the way of telling that story has stuck with me you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so i think when I think of scary, I think for me, something scary, something that I actually stopped listening to is the sword and scale podcast. Some of that is because it's just as absolutely gratuitous and yeah. there's stuff on there that should not be on there. Right. But a lot of it is like, these are stories of real people who are doing real things that are absolutely terrifying. 
right? It's terrifying to think that these people exist in this world. That's scary to me. Right. It's it's kind of like what we talked about with I Survived. That show, yes. which is just right. insane in yeah. in the stories that have happened to people. Um so yeah, I mean, I guess and and so I I guess that's it. It's just it's just about where where horror sits for you. And that's different for different people. And it can be a horror of ideas, it can be a horror of place, right? Some people are scared of the woods. Some people yeah. aren't scared of the woods, right. you know? And some people are scared of what's imagined and some people are scared of what actually exists. And so I feel like, um, number one, don't listen to celebrities tweet about horror movies. <laughs> when Stephen King says, this movie is the most terrifying movie of my entire life or whatever, he said that about 1,500 books this year. He's all over everyone's yeah. book. Like, this is the scariest yeah. thing of the century sure. or whatever. And, uh, and I think that there's an element of celebrity endorsement that's meant to put people in seats. They don't care that it actually reflects what the film is. And I wish that people would stop doing that. But then also, um, just take into account that horror means different things. The Witch is a horror movie. The Babadook is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It Follows is a horror movie. None of those I would put as scary movies. Mm-hmm. I would put Blair Witch over all of those, even though I probably would say those three films are maybe better films than, than, than Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, but Blair Witch is, is scarier. And so um, I think that it's, it's, it's an interesting concept now that... Did you see Brett Easton Ellis? tweeted something i saw Mm-mm. he was like the babadook it follows the witch he listed something he's like i hate modern indie horror or whatever yeah, yeah. I, I listened to him and, and quentin tarantino talk about it a little bit when tarantino went on his podcast after the hateful eight and i think a lot of that just comes from i mean obviously they're buddies with eli roth so that is their school of horror film. You know what I mean? That's right. what they want from a horror stupid. film. Stupid, you know, or arguably stupid, bloody. Not arguably. You know what I mean? That's what they want. Aggressively stupid. Right. I'll say Eli Roth, man, The Green Inferno, he did that. Looks terrible. He was involved in The Sacrament, too, which. I, I don't know. No, about. no, no. Wait, wait. I think that was Ty West. Anyway, go on. But he's remaking his own movie for whatever reason. Cabin Fever. Did you see that? Was he responsible for the? I think from what shot I've heard, shot remake. From what I've heard, he's doing a shot-for-shot shot remake of his own movie, which is just like one of the most redundant things I've ever like. Like what? Why are you shot-for-shot shot remaking it? You already did this. Mm. You literally already already did this. I, but I mean, Cabin Fever was good, right? Eli Roth, that that stream of horror is bankrupt. It's bankrupt. Sure. It's, it's it's ideologically bankrupt. It has no place to go now. You know, we've seen Hostel, Audition. I think was the height of that type of film. Um, and did you hear Quentin Tarantino? He talks all the time he was like i want to do a horror movie i don't know if i'd be interested in seeing a I would, tarantino horror movie i would <laughs> i would because it would not be a horror movie he he may have he may think that he made a horror movie 
but I guarantee you it would come off just being like every other type of Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> and it would not be a horror movie. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the ending. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of scary, I think I probably would have found this movie scarier or I think it probably would have stuck with me. If our crowd, are you going to bring up our crowd? We can talk about the crowd, but if the ending of the movie wasn't so concrete, you know, the the ending of the movie, y- y- you get, uh, y- you know, you get the, the, the goat that transforms into the devil. I mean, you don't see it, of course. It, I mean, they, and it does it in a very artful way, a way that works very well. But you still are told, yeah, this goat was demonic in speaking to these little girls and which is our girls boy little, girl. little, little kids twins yeah. and and witches are real and then this girl goes and becomes a witch and i feel like if that scene was just left at the girl asking the goat questions mm-hmm. and then just walking off into the woods and finding a campfire the coven yeah, either just this campfire in the woods or just as she finds it and then maybe take away the levitation at the end. That probably would have been way creepier to me than what you actually get. Now, I don't think how it ends is bad in any way. Yeah. I think it works yeah. fine. I think it's shot very well. And I think that end, I think for what that ending is, it's done as well as it possibly could be. But it, 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 it puts such a concrete point to all of the sort of questions and themes in the movie that it takes any sort of the horror of it away. So I, I had a different reaction. First off, that final image, I think, is terrifying. Just this girl floating up, you know, 50, 60 mm-hmm. feet. As an image, I loved the image. Now, what worked for me and this is where we're getting kind of maybe in the weeds a bit, Mm -hmm. but based on my upbringing and some things that, uh, stories that I've heard right there, I've heard some stories more, more than one from different sources, whatever, not saying that they're true, but just saying that there is consistency between some of these stories I've heard Mm -hmm. and they link celebrations that they've heard that they've not heard of that they've seen these people claim to have seen celebrations and rituals that have a demonic kind of um attention yeah and linking that with elements of levitation specifically that there there are elements of either people jumping unnaturally high mm-hmm. or and even voodoo and stuff, you know, like sure. in those celebrations, a lot of it is in this kind of like a a expression of unnatural power mm-hmm. of of some sort. Right. Now, whether that's adrenaline and whatever, I, I don't care. But the fact that, you know, stories that I have heard also link demonic activity with elements of levitation and the fact that he has claimed to 
you know, intricately researched each part mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. makes me feel like that is within the Christian tradition of understanding that, you know, witches, broomsticks, right? This flight, like there is a connection with levitation mm-hmm. and demonic activity or possession or whatever. So when I saw those, that coven celebrating, and then I saw them not just levitating, but kind of jumping high and then levitating Mm -hmm. to me, it tied to all that history, you know? Yeah. And I think that, that it fits in that context too. Like if you're, if you're going to tell a folk tale, then you're going to use the elements that are available in the folk tale. Right. And it seems to me that the levitation aspect is accurate. And so the fact that it ends in that kind of a celebration to me worked on me to, to be creepy. Yeah. That, so for you, I think cutting it off earlier, we were with somebody who thought that it should have ended even before that it should have ended when she came back in right. to the house and, after. And that would have been frustrating. Uh, I think that would have been nothing short of a disaster. Like right. to just end the movie right there would have been unsatisfying to any person watching the movie. It just right. would have, yeah, it would have felt incomplete. But but that was kind of my point. The Babadook resonates with me despite not finding it scary because I have the, I have had and I have that experience demonstrated in the movie. You know what I'm saying? I can make that connection on a personal level. The witch, you know, I, I, it's this, I, I, and I feel the same way about the witch as I do the Babadook. I feel like it's a, it's a well-made movie, well acted, it's well written. It is ab- above and beyond better than ninety percent of the other movies. Mm-hmm. I just didn't connect with it in any way, and right. so I walked out of it just thinking, all right, that's fine. One thing I did want to talk about was the dialogue. And the accents mm. and how it's very difficult I, to understand 75% of what is being said in the movie. With that being said, the director does such a good job with the sort of intangibles that you kind of don't need the dialogue. You can still sort of grab things here and there and still have a good sense of His what's going on. storytelling is on point. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, so that was very impressive. But I still kind of had no idea what anybody was saying at any given point. And I even said to you after the movie was over that because we were talking about how good the kids were at acting, I'm pretty sure that if you went back and closely examined what the twins were saying, because there are two like toddlers in this movie who are supposedly speaking this very old dialect. I'm pretty sure if you examine it closely, they're just speaking gibberish. They're not actually saying anything because that is very difficult dialogue to understand, let alone learn and recite in a believable way. But like I said, I feel like he does a good enough job. He does an excellent job. Mm-hmm. 
with the with the visual side of it that you kind of don't need it. It still works. Yeah, I'll just say I loved the language. Yeah. I loved I didn't really have a problem with it. Um I mean I think I, I don't want to speculate. I think I'm probably ADI key points smarter than you. So I think that's <laughs> I mean it's like it's like Tom Hardy in the Revenant times ten. Approach. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like the that, except way worse. Um, so, yeah, the final thing that I want to talk about are the troglodytes that we watched this film with. Sure. We, we, we've talked about, and, and I don't know why we, we didn't do this, we talked about maybe another podcast idea called That One's For Free or That's For Free. Oh, I still want to do that. Yeah. I've been writing down all my ideas. Okay. Well, well here's one. Here's a taste of what that could be film version which is make a horror movie about the crowd that goes and sees a horror movie sure put it in a theater and literally you know what make it a play make it a play and just have these people be talking their dialogue over the horror movie that's playing and revealing how sad and depressive their life is uh-huh. The, 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 the problem is, is that people come out, especially for open, opening night horror movies, they come out, I think, looking for a specific experience. If they're not given that specific experience, they have no problem with letting everyone in the theater know that they are not getting the experience that they thought they were going to get. Right. Well, and that's that point specifically bothers me. But what I will say is. Uh, I mean. And we talked about this a little bit. The the move, uh, obviously, the movie did well for itself financially. Mm-hmm. They they decided to open it in a wide release. Apparently, it made a lot of money, or at least way more than it cost. Mm-hmm. So that was a smart move. But I was saying to you, it's almost this seems like the type of movie that would have been better served opening in very select small markets. And then letting the word of mouth build and then getting it released mm-hmm. in more theaters as time went on. Instead, what happened was it gets marketed as mm-hmm. a big, scary movie. Mm-hmm. The trailers markets it as a really no different than the in, in the, whatever those movies are called. Paranormal activity. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that's who shows up to see it on Friday night at a major theater. And so I don't blame people for... Um, maybe being misled on what the movie is. I don't blame people for even walking out if it's no. not what they want to see. Yeah, I don't but either. what is annoying is is when they're talking the entire time, and then as they're walking out, the guy thinks he's like, uh, you know, whoever, oh, and he's like, the witch wins, and it's just like, all right, buddy, just let us watch our movie. Like, and you know, you don't like it, get get out. And you know, he's still giggling about right. that today. Yeah, all he said was the witch wins, and for yeah. him, that was that was just the pinnacle. And his girl was laughing. The the other thing that I want to say is, as a rule of thumb for life, don't act like you have a better place to be when you've paid money to be somewhere. Yeah, you know, you paid money for this ticket, just. Act like that's the number one place you have to be right now because you paid money to be there. If you're at a concert and somebody's playing music, don't act like you have a better place to be. Right. You've paid money to be there. Yeah. So just act like it. That's right. all. That's all. 
and and you will be acting within the realm of human kind of behavior mm-hmm. that won't get you expelled from our Puritan community. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that one's for free. Just make a horror movie about the crowd in a horror movie. Write a play about it. It'll be depressing. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, you've been listening to Everything is Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Zs. Mad Things Come Right. And we have a Twitter account. It's kind of, it kind of encompasses yeah, this, right? Yeah, we do. It's, it, we, I created a Twitter account for all of our podcasts. So you can follow the show. And if you want to interact with one of us or possibly Chris from our television podcast follow ei podcasts with an s um on twitter i want to start live tweeting events yeah sure like i uh, was going to do that with like the oscars when i watched oh yeah well i won't be watching the oscars but i was going to do that when i watched uh the hulu show but i forgot is the oscars no grammys for you i don't watch any of those i didn't watch the grammys i don't watch any of that stuff watch more than i did Oh, I watched Taylor Swift's acceptance speech. Yeah, there you go. Because it was in the news the next day. Anyways. Um we well, you're currently finished with the book that I started and then recommended to you <laughs> and then never read again. Right. But I will eventually finish the a book called The Short Drop. And that will, I think, more than likely be our next podcast for this show. Um, I'll give myself a deadline of tomorrow two weeks to be generous okay but really i'll aim for a week but i just have to i have to actually start reading again do you Um, have to start back from the beginning or i may have to i mean i'm not that far in so i would probably better serve doing that but we'll see how it feels when i start reading it again so yeah you can follow us on twitter you can follow the show on twitter at ei podcasts you can go to the website for more details eipodcast.com you can check the show notes for links to all of those things that I that we just mentioned. We have a television podcast where we are talking about 112263. We're about to record the uh, third third episode. our third podcast, but the second episode of the show tonight. That uh, podcast is called Everything is Television. So you can check that out as well. We will be back in a few weeks to discuss the short drop. And we will see you then. 